text, it says, Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left. Uh, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord, he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. This is the word of God. Let's just pray for the uh, sermon. Father, I just uh, lift you up right now, Father, before everyone. I pray that every heart would be open to receive uh, what you have for them today, Father. That uh, sometimes even in the... Um, in the midst of your, your word, Father, um, there can be hearts that would just uh, just take these verses hard. But, Father, I pray that you would use them to bless us and to just, uh, just to reignite the torch that you have placed inside of us. Just bless your word. Bless uh, Pastor Kyle as he comes forth and just uh, is a conduit of your uh, grace to us, Father, by the preaching of your word. We thank you in your son's precious name. Amen. I'll be seated. It's so good to see everybody this morning. God bless you. We want to take a moment um, to just remember today's the 15th anniversary of uh, 9-11 and um, we just want to remember people um, who lost um, loved ones in that tragedy. So we're just going to take some time to just silently pray for, for the people who might have lost loved ones in there. Just kind of remember um, just how the world that we live in um, is sometimes a very lost, very dangerous um, a very hard world to live in. So just, we're going to pray for peace. Um, so we're going to take some, just some silent prayer, pray in your seats. Um, I'm going to let a few moments go by, and um, I'll pray, and maybe one or two other people can pray too. Can you just raise your hand if you'd like to do that, just so we're not all sitting here quiet for a million years? All right, so Andy and, and Missy. So just join me in prayer. God, we just thank you so much, Lord, um, for your faithfulness to us. In the midst of tragedy, in the midst of just horrific trauma that we see in this world that's fueled by hate. Lord, that you sit in heaven and are faithful. And that is a secret to us, a mystery to us, how you are faithful and yet these hard and difficult times pass before us. So God, we want to take some time to remember the world that we live in. The tragedies of murder through um, terrorist groups. Would you just be with loved ones this morning, Lord, who are remembering their moms or dads or sons or nephews or nieces or daughters and give them comfort, show them that Christ is faithful.
Amen. Thank you. <clears throat> yeah, so just remember throughout the day to reflect on um, our need for our God to rescue. Um, and just be mindful of that today. It's so good to see everybody this morning. God bless you. I hope that you're having a great morning. And I'm seeing so many smiling faces and some guests here. So thank you so much for being here. God bless you. Um, I hope that you're enjoying the service so far. Um, William Stafford wrote a, a poem called Ask Me. And there's a little stanza in that poem that reads, Sometime when the river is ice, ask me mistakes I have made. Ask me whether what I have done is my life. Interesting. Just think about that. Ask me whether what I have done is my life. Is the life that you're living your life? Or is it someone else's? The life God has crafted you, gifted you for, called you to. Now there's a lot we could say about our scripture text this morning. Um, and some of you might have heard the title of my sermon online. I always post it online, so, so some of you aren't, aren't online. You might not know my sermon titles, but um, I, the title of my sermon is When God's People Split the Potential in Conflict. When God's People Split the Potential in Conflict. Now, you might have heard that title already and had certain expectations. Maybe you read the passage and you thought, oh, I, I, I think I know what this sermon might be about. But I want to focus on something. So I, I don't mean to disappoint you, because you might have had certain expectations of where I might go with this. Um, but there's something very interesting in this passage that I don't think that we should skip over, because it's very important. I want to focus on something this morning that I think is vital in processing conflict when it crosses our path, whether at work, in family, or at church. Something that makes conflict more of a symptom, right? The reason why conflict happened even to begin with. Now here is my maxim. Very often conflict leads us to the divine gift of self-discovery. Very often conflict leads us to the divine gift of self-discovery. Now I don't want to oversimplify, because sometimes preachers can do that, but I don't want to oversimplify conflict as, as at times has nothing to do with this at all. <laughs> But it quite often does, and I want to pay attention to that this morning because I think our text is an example of this. John Mark didn't know himself. That's why this conflict happened. Perhaps the Apostle Paul didn't know John Mark well either, but he did seem to know what John Mark wasn't. <laughs> we'll get to that even more later. Mark apparently was trying to be someone that he was not gifted by God to be. Have you ever done that? I have. <laughs> he was living the life of someone else. Now this someone else may or may not have been an actual person with a name. The someone else in the sense of a person, an image of who he would have liked to be. What you would like to do, what you would like to accomplish, an idea of a person. There was a, a famous rabbi, his name is uh, Zeusia. I don't know if you've heard him, it's a popular statement that he made. He said, in the coming world, they will not ask me, why were you not Moses? They will ask me, why were you not Zeusia? Just let that 
<laughs> That's good. Conflict, remember our poem, can be like the frozen ice in our op- that we read in the beginning. It's the frozen, our life just kind of stops. A conflict, conflict happens, and it makes us reevaluate who we are and where we're going. Right? So there are those times in our life where we're just forcibly pulled out of the things that we thought we were meant for, that we were going after. And we have to reevaluate our lives because our lives have just, in spite of our desires, have changed forcibly on us. So we've got to look at our aspirations and our goals and reevaluate everything. These are hard crises in our lives when they happen, aren't they? There's great potential, though, when that ice freezes over, when there's a conflict, when you lose a job, when you don't get into the school you wanted to get into, the internship, whatever. So this morning, I want to look at our text, and I want to observe three things that are almost always present in self-discovery. This really is a message about self-discovery more than it is about conflict. But we see it right here in our text. This happened for John Mark. There are three things I want to observe. Conflict, separation, and transformation. Conflict, separation, transformation. They just worked on the roof, so if you start getting drips on your head, it might happen. (laughs) I hear the rain. Conflict, separation, transformation. Conflict. Okay, so let's look at number one. There are certain actors in the drama of our text. You might have noticed them. Who are they? Paul Barnabas and John Mark, right. We gotta pause here to reflect on the nature of these relationships. Paul and Barnabas, who were they? They were paired together to be the, literally the first commissioned missionary team ever in the church. And they had known success incomparable to every missionary team after them. Amazing success. They had performed miracles, seen mass conversions, traveled from city to city preaching the gospel. They were persecuted, beaten, run for their lives, and almost killed by angry mobs. So they must have been very close, don't you think? Have you ever been through like a lot of like great difficulty with somebody and you end up creating this bond as a consequence? There's no doubt that these two men developed a strong bond and a deep affection for each other up until this point. And isn't this sad? A conflict, a sharp dispute arose between these two best of friends. And that's a whole other sermon, isn't it? Because that happens to us in our lives, and how difficult is it when it happens? And it arose for these men over a blood relative of Barnabas. John Mark was related to Barnabas by blood. People don't really know how, maybe a cousin, a nephew, but we know for sure that they were related. If you recall, who who is John Mark earlier in Acts? What did he do? Earlier in Acts, it's in chapter 13, he was invited to be a part of Paul and Barnabas' missionary team. Come along with us, you'll be our assistant, right? Early Early in the journey, though, he takes off in Acts chapter 13. From pa- and this is chapter 13, verse 13. From Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Persia and Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. The Bible doesn't tell us why. Just all of a sudden, John Mark decides, I'm out of here. It could have been persecution, maybe personality conflicts. We're just not told. As a matter of fact, we're not even told if it's a bad reason. We're not told if he was sent. Maybe it was a good thing. We're just kind of left hanging up until now. Now we know, obviously, that 
that Paul perceived John Mark's leaving as a desertion, right? And here is the occasion for Paul and Barnabas' sharp dispute. Mark deserted them, and Barnabas wanted to give Mark another chance. Barnab Apparently, John Mark had come back, and he wanted another chance too. Barnabas was all about it, and Paul said, no way, no way. Paul prized the mission of Christ over sentimentality to John Mark. And Paul was right. We know that because when Barnabas left with John Mark, when they left Paul and they tried to be a missionary team, that fell apart too. Paul was right. Missionary journeys and high-risk missions were not John Mark's vocation. And the mission to reach the ends of the earth with the gospel was a dangerous job and it required somebody with a certain gifting, a calling. And John Mark just didn't have that. And Paul knew it. I don't know that Paul could articulate what that was for him, but he knew it wasn't that. Mark was in the wrong place at the wrong time for the wrong reasons and it created conflict. It did. Two very good friends ended up fighting about it and splitting because of this. Very often, when we operate outside of God's call and gifting for us, it creates internal conflict and external conflict. When you're trying to be someone that you're not, you wind up frustrating yourself and everyone around you. <laughs> Scripture is quite clear that upon faith in Jesus Christ, God indwells in us with the... The Holy Spirit, right? The Holy, when we believe in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes on us, right? And, and we are his. We are sealed for eternity. We are marked at his, as his children. But what's more, not only does the Holy Spirit come into us, but he gifts us. He gives us gifts. And these gifts apply to both how we serve the church and also even our jobs, our secular work, our vocation. You know that the word vocation means calling? It's, it means like a voice that we listen to. It's a Latin word. Work is something that we see happening right at the start of creation. Did you know that? Adam and Eve worked. You know, some of us think, oh, no, that's, that must be the curse. They must have been sipping Mai Tais all day, and the, and the juice was just falling off the trees into their mouths. Right? No, they were working. And from what we see, it was arduous work, tending and keeping the garden. It was part of the created order. It was not a consequence of the fall. What was the consequence of the fall? Drudgery in work. Thorns and thistles. Attitude problems, right? There's another, there's another thing that we see in Eden before sin ever even entered the world was a variety, of, a variety of jobs, a variety of functions. They were to name the animals. They were to spread to the ends of the earth and multiply. Right? Eve had that function of, of giving birth, right? There were different, keeping the garden, tending the garden, naming the animals. So we see even different functions even before the fall. In Romans 12, we see this as very, that none of this was lost. This is still the case today, that God has called us to work and gifts us to work. And you say, well, I don't have a job. Well, you, yes, you still do, though. Maybe you're a stay-at-home mom. Maybe but, you know, a, we all have a vocation. We all have a calling. What is it, though? Romans chapter 12, we see this. It says in verse 2, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And why? Why be transformed? Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. 
In other words, discern what he has called you to with your life. What's, what his will is. His good and pleasing and perfect will. And what is God's will? Well, in Scripture, God's will is a couple of different things. It's prescriptive. In other words, thou shalt not kill. That all applies to all of us. But it's also sovereign. It's not, so in other words, we can choose to disobey his prescriptive will, right? But he also has a sovereign will that no one can interfere with. But let there be light. The, an angel couldn't have gotten in front of that word and swatted it away, right? Like there is a sovereign will of God that when he speaks, it happens. There's a prescriptive will. So here we say we're approving what is the will of God. That is his sovereign will. In verse 3, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Wow. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. But rather, think of yourself soberly. We'll get into this more later, but oftentimes, the vocations we choose are really just our inflated egos. We want to be great. We want to be glorious. We want our names in light. So I'm going to pursue this to that end. So, so Paul is saying, don't, don't pick your vocation. Don't assume that your vocation is something that you think is glorious. Look within. Look what God, how God has called you to function. And here's why. Here's how I know this. Do not think of yourself more soberly, more highly than you ought. Think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not have all the same function. See? Think soberly of yourself. What has God gifted me in and functioned me with? See? Sometimes we say, well, I'd rather have that person's function because they get more attention. Well, can you please just remember, though, that in the kingdom of heaven, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. The fact that some people get more attention on this earth if that's why they're doing it, they've gotten their reward. But in heaven, they will have none if they even go there. God has uniquely provided you a function to fulfill the creation ordinance of work and service both in the church and in the world. He has equipped you as a believer in Jesus Christ to fulfill the creation ordinance for all of us to keep the garden, quote unquote. What is it? This is his will for you. According to Romans 12. And a lot of times we ask, what's God's will for my life? And what's clear from Scripture, when we read about living out the will of God, the chief concern is not what we're doing with our lives, not our vocation, but our sanctification, isn't it? This is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Our chief concern shouldn't be, should I be a lawyer or a doctor? It should be, am I living like Christ today? Right? And when we do that, when then that's our chief concern, what we find is that those things just kind of naturally fall into place. God just reveals those things to us. And that's our growth in Christ-likeness. Very often, if we're concerned um, with um, God's use of us more than our own sanctification, we will suffer with chronic anxiety. We are more interested in what we will become in this life than who we are in Christ. And it results in chronic anxiety. Are you anxious? Maybe it has something to do with that this morning. 
Jesus said, why do you worry about tomorrow what you shall eat or drink? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Friends, we're going to be anxious about tomorrow if our sanctification is not our chief concern. And why, why, why do we do it? Why do we so often worry about tomorrow? Well, it's because we want stuff, right? We want stuff, and we don't know if tomorrow will hold the stuff for us. The money, the big pile of money, or the job, or the children, right? So, so we worry. Will I, will I retire with a million dollars? Because if I don't, then I'll have to work till I'm 80. Well, can I just, look, I know that we got to think about these things and be wise, but can I just ask, so what? We all die. We're all, look, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Do you think, look, a lot of times we have this kind of like American dream. Do you think they're thinking about this in India? You know, am I, if I, am I fully, you know, diversified and, you know, like, do I have a lot of different, like, fall, fail safes to keep something bad? Uh, look, and be wise and have those things. But friends, like, don't let it lead you to chronic anxiety. Gee, there is something more important in the will of God for your life, and that's your sanctification, your Christ-likeness. When you pursue that, you're going to find that the, the anxiety falls off of you. It just falls, the fears, they just fall off. The, the kind of unmet expectations of life, I wanted to do this or be this or have this, it just falls off. Because you're seeking first the kingdom of God. You know when you seek first um, a Ford Mustang, right? Like, do you know that it could break or someone could steal it? Right? That's why we worry. That's why we worry. About, but you know that when you seek first the kingdom of God, no one can steal that? That it can't break? That it can't fall off? That it can't divorce you? You see, anxiety just sheds itself when we seek first God's kingdom. And here we establish our point. When we don't get what we want out of life and it leads to anxiety, our sanctification, the will of God for us, includes living the life within. Living the function, the gifting that God has given you and not living someone else's. And we know that from Romans 12. God's will is, is built into how he's functioned all of us differently. Living out the vocation, the gifts he's given us to serve God's world and God's people. I already mentioned that the word vocation comes from a Latin word um, imaging a listening to a voice. Consider that when you think about what do you want to do for a career. Do you spend more time looking at how much does it pay? Right? How many hours will I have off a week? All these different things. Or are you listening? Listening to God's voice. Listening to who he's made you to be. Very interesting. God calls us by gifting us. And we must listen to God by understanding how he's made us. See? Then will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For just as each one of us has one body with many members, these members don't have all the same functions. The will of God is for you to operate in your unique function, not someone else's. God's will for you 
is not the same as someone else's. God's function for you is not the same as someone else's. But you have a unique one. And there is always a clash. And here's kind of my point. When we kick against that, there's always a clash internally and almost always externally when we are trying to live someone else's function. Mark wanted to be a missionary. And it messed up the mission. It created division between friends. Well, if he knew himself, he never even would have offered it. You see? God had not equipped Mark for this, and it led to a sharp dispute. Now, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever led people to a sharp dispute over you? Because you wanted to be something, and someone was your friend, they were favoring you, they weren't really thinking objectively, but they were just advocating for you, and it ended up in a fight. Have you ever noticed a sharp dispute in your life? Have you ever noticed a sharp dispute in you? You know, pursuing a, a quote-unquote call, and you have it in your mind that I have to do this. I have to accomplish this. But there's this war in you. And you just kind of know, is this right? Is this wrong? It's happening. This conflict, whether internal or external, always leads you to separation. That's our second point, separation. Verse 39 in our text, they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. They separated. Ultimately, I want you to think about the implications of this. Mark was rejected. Right? John Mark was told no. <laughs> he made the call. John Mark made the call, insisted to be part of the missions team, but the river froze up, didn't it? He was called out. He was turned away. He was fired. <laughs> oh, who wants to hear that word? Because so much of our ego is wrapped up into it. I, I, did I fail? Is it his fault? Sometimes we get fired unjustly. Isn't that true? But I love the imagery in our, but even if it's unjust, even, even if it's completely unfair, it always forces us to think, to consider, where am I going? What direction am I going? I, again, let's look at the imagery of our poem again. Sometime when the river is ice, ask me mistakes I've made. Ask me whether what I've done is my life. Now, I'm no poetic authority here, but it seems to me that the author is conveying times in our lives when life just sort of stops. We were going one way, and that big fat door, boom! Right? Like, and we are devastated. It might be with a girl, or a guy, or a job, or at school. Something closes, and we were putting our hopes and dreams, identifying ourselves with it. We're not in the flow of the river anymore, the life, right, that river of life that we're kind of flowing down and going down. And we're forced to ask if the life we have been living is really ours. John Mark was rejected by Paul, and consequently, he went home. He tried to do some missions first with Barnabas, didn't work out, went home. That's a walk of shame, right? <laughs> Separated, alone, fired, rejected. Oh, have you been there? <laughs> have you been there more than once? His river froze up. And friends, sometimes in life our rivers freeze up. We're, we're fired, we're turned down, we're rejected. And it's sort of like our lives turn and we end up like in the belly of the fish like Jonah. The river freezes up. We're in the belly of the fish. What's, where am I? It's really gooey and dark. <laughs> and we're forced. We're just forced to ask, what are we doing? 
Why are we doing it? We're, we're, we're separated, even from ourselves. And these are hard times, tough times. Our deepest desires and sometimes our own identities of ourselves are shaken up. But, but would you consider this possibility? Maybe that ice froze up. Maybe that fish swallowed you whole so that you might just stop and ask yourself who you are. Whether or not you're following Jesus Christ. Who God has made you to be. Friends, you will never, ever, please hear this, you will never have the joy of Jesus Christ as a Christian if you're living outside of God's will. And you will never be in God's will if you're being someone else. You hear that? This separation, here's my point, it's a mercy from God. It's God's grace to us. Because it gets us to stop and think, who, who am I? Who has God made me to be? To wake us up to how he has uniquely gifted us and called us. And it's in that belly of the fish. And when the ice freezes, when we're cut off from the dream, that we wake up and we get transformation. There it is, transformation. Transformation happens when we start to think soberly of ourselves. We start to think soberly of ourselves. That God's glory, Christ's glory, is more important than my glory. Christ's desires is more important than my own. And there's even great dignity in this. That did you know that you can be just as important and valuable and influential being a janitor as you can being a missionary? Did you know this? And this is something that, you know, as a pastor, I have to struggle. Why, why have I chosen this? Because do I think it's just because it's the, really the most influential way to live life as a Christian? It's not. It is a function that I have, that I, I do believe God's called and gifted me for, and you guys have different ones, but none are more important than the other. Some, you know very often in the history of the church that great, great revivals break out not because of the guy behind the pulpit, but because of the people in the seats. They start praying. They start saying, what are we doing? We're not following Jesus. We're dead and dying. And they start praying, and all of a sudden, boom. And the pastor's like, what happened? <laughs> you see? You see, friends, we have a function, gifted by God to do certain things, and it gives Christ glory instead of kicking against it to be in it, to follow it. It wakes us up to even the joy that's available to us. So we stop trying to be someone else, and we delight in God, in the God who made us. He made us. And we stop thinking about how great others think we are. Do other people think I'm really awesome? How great we think we are. Well, I've really done it. I've really made, I remember I was sitting, um, in a, this, was a, this was a while ago. I was, I was at a Hilton hotel. Was it Hilton? Was it Paris Hilton? Is that the one that their family owns a Hilton? Yeah. So I was sitting in a Hilton hotel, and I open up the drawer, and there's no Gideon Bible, but there's a biography on the Hiltons. So I start reading this thing, and I'm just kind of skimming through it, and I'm with my friend Chris. Is he even here? Chris is in here. Chris comes here, but I'm with my friends Chris and Nick, and I'm reading through it, and I look up, and I was kind of joking, but I said to them, I'm never going to matter. <laughs> like, these guys are rich and powerful, and they've done some amazing thing. But don't we do that? And that's kind of a joke. But don't we kind of feel like that sometimes? Like, well, I'm just me. You know, I just kind of push a broom or whatever, answer phones. They're the ones that matter. 
Do you, look, I, I have to say this to myself. Do you even believe anything God says? Because that's not what he says. It's not. So either you don't believe in God and you're not a Christian, or we need to just remind ourselves that we are Christians and that that, that thought is from Satan, right? And just get back in line. Remember that, that, that person I mentioned? That she was sick and dying and young, and everyone's, oh, this poor lady, and she was poor, her wife died, she's got nothing, and she wakes up, she's about to die, in her last breath she says, who calls me poor? What's the matter with you people? You're Christians, right? You know where I'm going? You know what God has done for me? Do you know that I'm going to reign with him forever? That I'm going to judge angels? You see, that's what it's about, friends. That's, that's what it's about. We stop thinking about how great other people think we are or how great we want to be and all the attention that we want from people and we rest in God's love for us, that his approval for us is what matters. His grace to us in, in the function that he's given us makes us significant and powerful no matter how lame you think it might be. John Mark tried to be a missionary with Paul and he failed. Boom. <laughs> he tried with Barnabas and he failed. Boom. Now, we don't see this in our text. John Mark. I want you to just think about that name. John Mark. Who is that? Who is it? Mark, it's, he's, all, I'm going to give you a hint, okay, because everyone's staring at me blankly. Okay, talk to me. They, they, most of the time he's called Mark. Who's Mark? D Duh? Yes! Uh, hear this. Now, we don't see this in our text, but eventually, John Mark, because of this conflict and separation, was providentially pushed into his real vocation, his real calling, and he authored the first gospel ever written. The, John Mark was pushed out of, as a missionary and became, became an author. The gospel of Mark was the first gospel ever written. You say, okay, so big whoop. All right, so big whoop? Really? <laughs> Do you, do you realize that this book is still being read 2,000 years ago? Do you realize that the Gospel of Mark was the first one written and that Matthew and Luke used it to, to model their own Gospel? Have you ever heard of anything called the synoptic problem? Right? What is the synoptic problem? It's be, the, the Gospels are so similar, but they're, the, every, every, every now and then they're different, though. So it's trying to figure that out. So to solve why are they different, why are they the same, uh, everyone agrees that the reason why they're so similar is because Matthew, Luke, and John all used Mark to, as a model, as a guide to write their own gospel. Now that's impressive. What's also impressive is that you guys know what a literary genre is? So poetry, history. He invented a new genre. There was no gospel of anything before him. And now the, a gospel is a kind of genre that Mark invented, and if he kept trying to be a missionary, he never would have done it. You see why this is important? You see why when you get fired or told no, that it, it can be very transformational for you? It can be the next step to the person God's called you to be? That's why we need to stop with all of our assumptions and presumptions and ask God, who did you make me to be? What am I doing with my life? So Mark might have had risk aversion, right? Maybe he didn't have a stick of backbone as the Apostle Paul, and he wasn't so skilled in the kind of, kind of like evangelical ministry like Paul was. 
but he was given another gift that he never would have provided to the world if he kept trying to be Paul. And could this be what Jesus meant when he said, lose your life and you'll find it. Lose your life. Lose the life you think is the life. Ha! Ah. And find the one God made you for. Now how do we discover that? Now, that's a good question, right? How do we discover that? How do we know what is the divine gift of our unique function? Right? This is transformative. It changes everything. Does God appear in some kind of cloud? Did he appear to Mark and say, Mark, don't be a missionary. Write the gospel. Probably not. Right? He probably, just because he kept getting doors shut, he had to reevaluate and think through it. It's not easy sometimes. I believe he speaks to us, though, in his word and in wisdom. He speaks to us in his word and his wisdom. Our function that God has give, given us is revealed to us, in a sense, in his word. Let me tell you what I mean. God, <clears throat> we, we need to ask, does God allow it, this in his word? So in other words, God has not given us a gift to function well in the selling of illegal drugs. <laughs> I'm really good at this. I'm really good at starting, you know, houses of burlesque. No, of, no. <laughs> God has not given you that function. That's against his will, right? So we have to ask that. So that's, that's how his word helps us and guides us. But secondly, does it contribute to the good of mankind? And you say, okay, um, that can be lots of things, friends, too. You can do that as an accountant. You can do that cleaning someone's apartment. You can do that being a good mom. Does it contribute to the good of mankind? So our function is teamed out in his word. Does it contribute to the good of mankind? Does God allow it in his word? But we also need to have wisdom paying attention to how exactly God has uniquely give, given us these gifts. Now, one way of doing this, I think this is a good way. I got this from R.C. Sproul. I don't think he invented it. Um, I think this is an actual thing that, that, um, that people use to help them answer questions like this. And I think I got some slides of it. Um, yeah, there we go. Okay. A helpful way for us to kind of process this, I want to get a little practical with you. Because I'm, I'm saying be yourself, live yourself, identify your function. Well, how do I even do that? Um, in the real world of my job, my job description, I have a job, right? It might be a mom. It might be, um, you know, a, a janitor. It might be a lawyer, whatever it might be. And then you have your map, okay, on the, on the right. A map is a motivated ability pattern. Let me explain to you what that means. Now, we all have motivation patterns and we all have ability patterns. We're not all motivated to do certain things that we're able to do, right? So in other words, there are things sometimes that we're very good at, but we absolutely hate. Right? We have no motivation for it. Think of like a child athlete who is amazing, that was pushed their whole life to play soccer or something. And then right when they turn 18, they never kick a ball again, right? Have, we've seen that over and over again because their parents push them so hard, they hate it, they have no joy in it. So that they have a, a non-motivated ability, see? But they're also motivated non-abilities. That is, we really love to do certain things and want to do certain things that we have absolutely no aptitude for. <laughs> right? like, so let me give you an example. If you were to ask me, um, I, I played sports a lot as a kid. And you say, well, what's the sport, Kyle, that you loved the most? That you played the most, that you just loved playing it and joined every team you could? It was basketball. 
after school, I'd play basketball. And in the gym, I'd play basketball. I'd join teams and play basketball. So, so, so I was motivated to play basketball, right? So, so if, you, if you also said, well, what was the, I also played, I, I played uh, lots of different things too. I played baseball, all these different sports. So you also, but, but I was most motivated to play basketball. But if you also said, well, Kyle, what was the one that you had the least ability for? Well, the answer is easy, basketball. <laughs> I stunk at basketball. I hit the rim. I couldn't even get, come close to the net when I jumped, right? And I practiced. It's not like I was a bum. So I had a motivated non-ability. Can, can, can you testify to this? Have you been there? Okay. <laughs> I think we all have. So that's a motivated non-ability. So we, but we hurt others and ourselves to do things we're motivated to do but have absolutely no ability or aptitude for. The ideal is to, to find, it, find what it is that you have an ability for, but that you also have a motivation to do, and, and that's your function. God has gifted you. That's why it's there. That's why you love doing it. That's why you're good at it. See? And that's, what, that's the challenge. Now, the ideal, when we, when we talk about work or vocation, and that's our next slide up here. I think it's up there, right? Did you put it up there, Nikki? Yeah, there we go. That's the ideal. That, uh, so our map goes right in to our job description, fits perfectly. Now that that's rarely ever happens to any of us, okay? What normally happens is our next slide, this is more realistic, is our vocation kind of matches up to, in a sense to our, the, our abilities and our motivations, you see? And it's in that little, you see that little kind of center circle thing? That's where we get our most joy out of our vocations. That's the size of that inner overlap is going to determine our sense of fulfillment in our work. Um, it's it's going to determine our, our employers or customers or family satisfaction with us. Because in that middle circle, that's where we're happy. We have joy in there. That overlap, by the way, too, is where you possess maximum leadership potential. So in other words, without even trying, people are going to follow you. Because you're good at what you do, and you're happy with what you do, and people just gravitate towards that, don't they? People with similar like abilities and similar uh, motivations see what you're doing and kind of want to be and want to learn from you, and you lead people like this. <clears throat> it's important to think about this, as you know, because many people know the plans that they have for us. <laughs> Everyone's got an idea of what you should be and do, okay? It's important to balance this too by remembering God doesn't always call us to do what we're motivated to do. You know this? Sometimes there's a war and we need to be a foot soldier, right? Like World War II, it didn't matter if you didn't like making bullets, get in the factory, make bullets, because if you don't, we're all gonna die. Because sometimes, right, like, like this is what Sproul says, the need constitutes the call. Sometimes that happens. We do need at times to do things out of duty. But usually, what God calls us to do, he gifts us for and he motivates you with. That's usually what happens. And it's a mistake to presume that God calls us to do the things that we hate. Isn't that, isn't that kind of true? Have you ever thought like that as a Christian? Like if I really love Jesus, then I'm going to do the thing that I don't want to do the most because I love him. <laughs> like sometimes, yeah, sometimes that happens. But most of the time, it's, well, it's, it's thinking about, how has God made me? 
How has God, God gifted me? How has God called me? And I think that we identify that with our desires and our abilities. Discern yourself soberly, objectively. What are your motivations and inclinations? Do you like your job? Why not? You know, some people actually can't wait to go to work. And that's what God ordained. That's how it's supposed to be. Work's not a curse, it's a blessing. If work is a curse for you, you need to ask why. You need to ask why. Now, consider this. If you don't like your job, it doesn't mean you don't have a function. You say, well, Kyle, you just said that if I don't have a motivation for it, that chances are God hasn't gifted me to it. That's not always the reason why you lack motivation. So you've got to be careful. Don't go to your boss tomorrow and quit your job. <laughs> Sometimes we lack motivation because we're living in sin. Sometimes we've made an idol of something. So we need to evaluate things. We need to do diagnostic tests, right, to, to consider things. But you shouldn't rule that out, though. Is it possible that you're just in a job out of need and you're not doing what God's called you to do? Make every effort possible to match what you do with who you are, friends. Bring down the barriers. Why don't you do this? Well, fear. I don't know. I need to make money, right? The barrier of glory. Well, you know, like, you know, I'd, I'd love doing this more, but it's not as glorious as this. I want to be glorious, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to deprive myself of the God-given gifts God's given me to operate in because I'd rather get fame and fortune. Bring down the barrier of confusion. You say, like, well, I'm confused. I don't know. What, what function has God given me? Well, Bring down that barrier. Let's talk. You know, I, I work here. <laughs> you can call me, and we can pray together, and we can work that out. And bring down the barrier of coveting. Right? Well, we want certain things for our own glory, possessions, affections. Bring down the barrier of people-pleasing. You know that sometimes we end up doing things in life to please others? What did mom want me to do? What did dad want me to do? What did my coach want me to do? And how about this? Bring down the bar barrier of identity confusion. Let me explain to you what I mean. A lot of us in our lives, we grow up with influential people in our lives that have led us and we look up to them. So naturally, a lot of times, we end up wanting to be what they are, to do what they do. We identify our lives with theirs. And that's an identity confusion. They might have had a profound impact on you, but that doesn't mean you have to be who they are. See? You've got to ask, how has God called and gifted me? Friends, I hope that this has encouraged you to consider the lives of John Mark and Paul and Barnabas. Do you know that later on at the end of Paul's life, he writes in his last letter, he's, about to, he, he's, he's in a very dangerous space, he's thinking he might about to die, it's the last letter he ever wrote, and he says, bring John Mark to me, because he's useful for service. You see, John Mark started doing what God had intended him to do and called him to, and he started flying, soaring. Paul saw it, and he said, I need him. See? See what happens? Friends, sometime when the river is ice, ask me mistakes I've made. Ask me whether what I have done is my life. Let's pray. Oh, God, I just pray, Lord, that you would just help us. Show us, guide us, direct us to not despise those gifts you've given us, but to see that, that we can have joy in living out the lives 
that you've called us to live. God, we thank you for the church, the body of Christ. We pray, Lord, that we would remember those wise words in Romans chapter 12, that we would remember the consequence oftentimes when we kick against who you've called us to be. God, I pray, Lord, reveal it to us. Help us to just start asking questions, to seek you, and let us obey you in all things. God, we love you, and we thank you so much for, for everyone that's gathered here this morning. And if you don't know Christ and you're here this morning, you say, I don't even, I don't know myself in a lot of different ways. Maybe the, a way that you don't know yourself is whether or not you have been rescued by God through Christ. You know that God loves you? Do you know that God made you and created you? That he gave you a will? That, that he gave you beauty and order? And he gave you gifts? The gift of life, the gift of ability, the gift of desire? But your sin has separated you from God. We've said no to God and worshipped other things. And friend, if that's you and you want to repent of your sin and turn from your sin and put trust in Christ that his death and resurrection satisfied all of the angry judgment of God so that it would never have to be put on you. All you need to do to come to Christ is trust in him, to turn from your sin and believe in the work of Christ. And your sins are gone. And if that's you, I just want to invite you to come talk to me. Talk to another Christian. Follow Jesus. God, we love you. We thank you for this time. We thank you for this church. In Christ's name, amen.